Moines. Now, today's biggest stories from the BMW of Des Moines Sports Desk. This is an X's and O's update on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. The St. Louis Cardinals yesterday finished off a 3-1 series win as they beat the Reds 3-1. Yaro Munez with a three-hit game, including this blast. And that's hit out to deep left, off the bat of Munoz. He knew it, and the Cardinals have their two-run lead back. The call from Fox Sports Midwest in a 3-1 Cardinals victory. Cardinals back in action tonight, 6:05 with the first pitch on the road in Pittsburgh. Daniel Ponce de Leon will get the start for the Redbirds. In Minnesota, the Twins' bullpen blew another lead, but the German Max Kepler gives the Twins a walk-off comeback victory. Right to left field, oh, down for a hit. A walk-off win, and it's Kepler delivering again. The call from Dick Bremer on Fox Sports North as the Twins win at 7-6. Minnesota continues their home stand tonight with the Yankees in town. It'll be Martin Perez opposite CC Sabathia at 7-10. In Arizona, the Brewers take three out of four as Mike Moustakis gives the Brewers the lead in the eighth. Bouncing ball, and that's through. The drawn in infield. Scoring is Hira RBI for Moustakis, and the Brewers lead it 5-4. The call from Fox Sports Wisconsin in a 7-4 Brewers victory. Late tonight, the Cubs are in San Francisco to face the Giants. Alec Mills gets the ball for the Cubbies as they hold a two-game lead over Milwaukee and a two-and-a-half game lead over St. Louis in the NL Central. The Open Championship, and Shane Lowry is your champion. And Ireland's Shane Lowry is an Open champion at Royal Portrush. The call from NBC is Lowry finishes 15 under, six strokes ahead of Tommy Fleetwood. In high school baseball, sub-state semifinals tonight, Waukee hosts Sioux City West. Ankeny's on the road at Mason City. Southeast Polk hosts Marshalltown. And Valley's on the road against Iowa City Liberty. Stay up to date at KXNO.com and all day on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Live from the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Jefferson Studios, you'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Sports radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Second CCR bump today, Trent Condon. Hitting them hot and heavy. Pretty good. Uh, welcome back. Hour number two, 11 o'clock hour. Miller and Condon with you until noon. Scott Dockerman in 10 minutes from The Athletic. Dylan Mont's Ames Tribune in about 30 minutes from right now. I want to run this by you. It was one of the most make-you-think moments of our stay in Chicago. I don't know where you were. You, I don't know. You weren't in the room for D'Antonio, were you? I was not. That was right after Kirk, right? I don't remember. And I was going out. And no, think- it was Friday I th- or Thursday. What? Oh, it was Thursday. Yeah, I wasn't I in remember. there for it. Yes. Uh, but he had, he was asked uh, as one of the talking points this weekend was the, you know, the transfer portal. And uh, seemingly every coach was asked about this and how would you fix it? And Kirk was asked about it. And mm-hmm. they all were asked about it. Um, I think most of them, the biggest takeaway, well, we just want some clarity. Right. <laughs> and you could yeah. certainly understand that. I mean, it's this way for one school and well, it's not going to be necessarily how it's going to work for your school. We're going to do it this way for you. D'Antonio, well, first of all, Harbaugh, I'm with Harbaugh. Let him all play. Let him transfer once. No sit-out. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Transfer a second time, you got to skip the year. D'Antonio's thought was one that kind of stopped me in my tracks and made me think a little bit. He wasn't one for giving them 
you know, uh, play play the entire year. His thought was, let him play four games. Like the current redshirt rule that's okay. now in place. If you transfer, you don't have to sit out for a whole year in football. You can play four games. Play any four you want. Why? Well, of course, the coaches are going to have a little say in that. Yes. But it, it, it's not held against you. You don't lose a year of eligibility. And if you're not going to get that full, you know, go go wherever you want, play as soon as you want, but you only do it once like Harbaugh wants, this one from Antonio kind of made sense to me. It does. So you're not losing, quote unquote, a year of eligibility. Nope. You get to get, you know, you get to practice with your school. Mm-hmm. You get to play with the kids, with the team that you decided to join. So it's not like you're out of football for an entire year. You're part of the team. You're doing everything and you actually get to play. You maintain that year, that yep. red shirt year. Correct. Even while playing in four games like true freshmen are allowed now. Yep. yep. I like that. I do too. I don't always love D'Antonio's ideas, but that one. Go green. <laughs> it, it it makes sense. Uh-huh. It is beneficial for both the kid and the program. Uh-huh. It is also not going to create, I think this is more of a basketball conversation, but the super teams that right. some people are concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can buy in. Good call out of him. Now, I don't know how they'll do it in basketball. Well, and they still don't have that redshirt rule in basketball, remember, where, I mean, right. if you'd expedited over 31 games as opposed to 12 games, you play four, so what, you'd be able to play 10 Regular Something season like games that, yeah. as a freshman and still keep it. They don't have that rule mm-hmm. for basketball. Should they? Yes. Yeah. I think. I mean, it might be somewhat of a bookkeeping nightmare, but I mean, if you're going to do it for football, why wouldn't yes. you do it for all sports? Well, in football, it can be more difficult because guys are just playing special teams. They're not playing actual snaps, right. and, and that could turn into more of a problem. And they're, they're able to do it there. They certainly could do it with basketball. Okay, here's a step further. Mm-hmm. You're Kirk Ferentz. You're Matt Campbell. What four games would you pick <laughs> for... Oliver Martin for Iowa, mm-hmm. and now Petway will be eligible because he's a grad right, transfer. But if he wasn't, but, but if he right. wasn't, what four games for each side are you going to pick I mean, for them to play? You certainly don't. I don't think you play them early in the year. I think you would wait until conference play. It depends, right? It depends on on the depth of the position. Are you if you get a major injury at a position? But it's going to take some thought process. Do you, do you play three during the regular season and save them for the bowl? Or if you're an Alabama or a Clemson, do you play two in the regular season and they get to play the playoff and you hope and cross your fingers that you advance to the championship? I mean, something goes, there's a that thought process to it. But, you know, when I when I heard it, I thought, you know what, Mark D'Antonio? Mm-hmm. That's not bad. It's That's pretty not good bad. One. Iowa State, you're playing, certainly you're saving... Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, you want to save for November. Those are the two you're playing. Uh-huh. Probably not Iowa. Just It's coming off a bye week, but you're one game in already. Boy, that's going to be a dinger this year, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's going to be God. so good. West Virginia or Texas Tech on the road? Mm. A couple of road games. Maybe Texas Tech would be... It depends on it depends on the depth chart. Who got hurt in front yes. of you? Yes, yeah. That, that's a big piece of mm. it, too. Fun conversation it is. and a smart you know idea. It would be, a, I think it would, a, it's a smart idea. I think it would be a really good summer talker yes, for what we would. do and people yes. around the country uh, do. They have this transfer coming in. All right, let's find the four. Yeah, two eight four five nine six six. And you know, I don't know if we would go that far, but you get the point, right? right? There'll yes. be a lot of people who want to opine on it, whether it be Twitter or. Uh, on the air, but we shall see. All right, Scott Dockerman had a uh, really good piece, and he's been working on this one for a while regarding potential realignment in the Big Ten. I talked to Doc. When did it 
hit Friday morning, I want to say, right yeah, Friday yeah. morning. I spoke with Doc. Uh, he called me over and said, I just dropped a pretty good story, big story. Have you read it yet? I said, no, I just was on my way over, um, but I certainly will now. And he said he'd been working on it for a while, but he couldn't get anybody to go on the record. And he finally got P.J. Fleck, your your guy, Philip, as you call him. Phil, that's Phil, his name. Philip Fleck. Yes. To uh, a quote from him. That uh, was on the side. That was the time I told you when I was on the side sitting there and mm-hmm. Doc. Kept going. So kept that's going. where he got kept it from. Going. That's where and, he kept, and he kept asking Fleck over and over, and finally Fleck gave him a little nugget. No, he it? asked him just three different questions about it. So he uh, kept going. It was, wasn't was bounced around the Minnesota oh, so media. Doc, Doc took control oh, of the he, scrum is what you said. He controlled that scrub, no doubt. He was right up there. He was at the forefront. I just stood back and let him do his thing. It was good. Yeah, the whole week, the, the whole two days are really good. It's a terrific event. I, yes. I have Big 12 envy. I wish I was there for that one, but we can't have everything. We will take a time out. We'll come back. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic joins the program. Dylan Montz, 1135. Trent and I till noon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Streaming live from coast to coast on iHeartRadio, this is 1460 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. It's another Monday with Scott Dockerman. That means The Athletic is adding to their stable of writers, seemingly. Every single week. It's uncanny, isn't it? It's great. Wisconsin, if you're a Badger fan, you now have an assigned writer, as they're the uh, latest to join the fray. Scott Dockerman's been with The Athletic for some time. The Athletic's better off for it. He joins the program. Scott, uh, good to talk to you, Doc. Trent and Ken, how are you, sir? Doing well. How was uh, how was your trip back from Chicago? Well, mine was good. Um, very uneventful until we got to Des Moines because I flew and we had to. We were coming in for a landing and then right at the last second, whoosh, straight up back in the air. Uh, oh. What the hell's going on here? Um, the pilot came on and said they were too close or there was something too close. But I don't know what he meant. I was terrified to hear what he was saying. Uh, but anyways, was yours good? Uh, less eventful than that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just left at a decent time, got back at a decent time, and, uh, you know, uh, all, all was well. You know, with the Uber driver that I had to take going to the airport, because I had a really tight connection, I had to leave Trent by himself for 15 minutes. <laughs> and he did very well, I'm sure. Uh-huh. Um but I was going down back alleys. I'm thinking, holy crap. You know, I felt like I was in one of those movies, you know, it was a car chase deal through the back alleys of Chicago. But anyways, Doc, uh, let's get to the here and now. Your piece, and you alerted to me on Friday morning that you just uh, posted at The Athletic, the potential of realignment coming to the Big Ten uh, division-wise. Uh, it, it's a great read. You'd been working on it for some time, but you needed somebody to go on the record, and P.J. Fleck was good enough to do that for you. What was, I guess, the biggest... And then blowback's not the right word, but feedback-wise, Doc, what did you hear uh, regarding your uh, realignment piece? It's really interesting because I don't know if P.J. Fleck spoke out of turn or if that was his true feelings or if it there was more discussion than than what was provided, but uh, for PJ Fleck to kind of go out on a limb and say that change is coming and uh, he expects it to happen, I think is uh, was pretty revealing through the process because the ADs had kind of said nothing had been discussed. Uh, there was no word whatsoever from the Big Ten, which uh, usually I do get word from the Big Ten one way or the other. So uh, in this case, I waited. I. I talked to a couple of people, and ultimately they said, we just don't have any comments. 
uh, on it, which means that it's probably more of a trial balloon at this time, which my guess is they'll probably give it another year or two, especially with a new commissioner coming in. And if it seems to, to have a, an imbalanced perception and probably at the championship level, then I think that, uh, you know, it's certainly possible. And, you know, uh, there's been a couple of coaches that were very forceful. I mean, I think you look at what James Franklin said after my story was published, just simply that uh, he feels like that the East Division is way too strong the way it is. And and so I think there's a couple of paths that they could go by. One is, uh, you know, a tweak or some sort of uh, membership alignment uh, within the two divisions, or, or two, just eliminate them all together, go to the NCAA and try to pass a rule that maybe allows uh, something similar to what the Big 12 has, but maybe protect certain rivalries and allow the, the rest of them to go through probably a more organic fashion. So I think it bears watching. Um, I'm not sure really which direction it would head, or but uh, I think this year is probably fairly pivotal in deciding whether or not it takes place or not. If that comes to fruition, that second part that you mentioned, Doc, and the possibility of doing away with division, setting up a schedule that is as equitable as you can while protecting rivalries. Do does ten game schedules come back on the on the conversation? Ten game Big Ten schedules is that something a route that you'd see them going if they would do away with those divisions? No, I th- in fact I think it would probably go down to eight mm. instead of go up to ten. And part of that is, I mean, a really an easy scheduling solution would be if uh, they decided to do away with divisions is one, everybody protect three opponents. You could call them rivals. And then, of course, I had some people you know, in certain areas going, oh, that's not a rivalry. Well, no kidding. But, you know, that's, that's the way it works. And then cycle through it, the rest of the ten opponents where you'd play five, say, two years on and then five, two years off and then flip it every two years. And you'd have a pretty easy scheduling solution because I think in some ways this goes hand-in-hand hand with the uh, – the playoff debate. When you're looking at Ohio State, uh, that played 11 Power Five opponents in, in regular season play last year, traveled to a neutral site to play TCU, Arlington, Texas. How neutral was that? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, and yet, in, in yet still finished behind Georgia, which didn't win its conference, which played an FCS team, which played only nine Power Five uh, teams through the course of the year. Then I think the Big Ten needs to take a uh, really heavy look at. You know, is this uh, scheduling philosophy in its best interest? Because the selection, the the committee, which and Jim Delaney talked about this, uh, is not using that kind of criteria. So I think the Big Ten has a couple of things it needs to look at in the future regarding scheduling, and that's going to probably be one of the first tasks affording uh, Kevin Warren when he takes over. Uh, you know, and uh, hand in hand with Delaney in September, and then overall on January second. Yeah, it was a big talker, Doc. If everybody's running the same race, yet nobody's running the same course uh, during that race, and that that's a, that's a big talking point. And I don't think that that's unfair at all. Transfer portal seems to be a little bit unfair, just because of the the lack of transparency, the lack of clarity, the lack of rules. It's one way for one school, seemingly, and we're going to do it this way for uh, another school. I think that's that was one of my biggest takeaways. From from our couple of days in Chicago is I don't think coaches were against it. They just don't understand it at this point. There needs to be some clarity, Doc. Yeah, you're right. And I think at this point it's, uh, you know, they're kind of fighting a losing battle because they want to be fair and, and helpful to all of these athletes. Yet, uh, you know, what, what are the rules? Don't, not everybody's playing by the same, you know, standards. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, 
compiled figures over you know most of the the 2019 fiscal year, which ended on uh, June 30th, and you know there were uh, there were 73 um, cases involving transfers for immediate eligibility, and 48 were approved, and 25 were uh, denied. And and well, some of them were a bit questionable. I mean, the quarterbacks Tate Martell going from Ohio State to Miami. Justin Fields going from Georgia to Ohio State. Why were they given immediate eligibility in their waivers and some others weren't? So I, I think at some point they've, they've got to make this more of a streamlined process and predictable, and, and right now it's not. And But I think the path that they have to go down is uh, immediate eligibility, at least for first-time uh, student-athletes, because uh, you know if you try to take something away like this, you'll probably lose in a court case. So I think the best thing in their eyes is probably to grant immediate eligibility, maybe for first-time students, uh, maybe one mulligan, as Jim Harbaugh said, right. and then uh, maybe graduate transfers as well. I think if you try to penalize graduate transfers, forget it. It's it, that one is, is so far out, and I I think it just it it just looks of administrators trying to create more administrative solutions to more regular issues and as kirk ferentz pointed out i didn't realize this too and i know that the question was asked pursuant to oliver martin and the martin family has hired an attorney it seems doc that the uh that the athletes who go into these hearings and have legal representation legal counsel with them they're more likely than not to have the decision go their way which is why oliver martin and the martin family have hired an attorney to in order to I guess seemingly to to help his chances of getting declared eligible right off the bat. It helps to have a lawyer. It does. That's what's helped a lot of these cases. Tom Mars has been the uh, you know the lead attorney for a lot of these cases. Now I don't have the Martin family attorney. Um, I had a, just a brief conversation with the father, and and you know everything's kind of a whirlwind right now. But uh, you know I I do think that this is a situation where. Uh, they're trying to get immediate eligibility. And what grounds are they claiming? Well, that we're not privy to that information because they haven't let it out. Uh, but I, I think if, based on what we've seen this past year and what Jim Harbaugh's comments were, that he thinks that all players should get one mulligan when it regards to transfer, um, you know, I would say the, the situation might be a little bit more favorable to Oliver Martin than maybe what I thought it was, say, four or five days ago. We're talking right now, Scott Dockerman from The Athletics. So, Doc, on Friday, right as our show was beginning, that was the uh, side session with Gary Barta. So, wasn't able to uh, lend an ear to that one. Fill us in. I know Barta talked a little bit about beer sales coming to Kinnick Stadium. Looks like it's uh, not an if, but when that's going to come to fruition. What else were you able to glean out from Gary Barta? Uh, That was primarily the thing. And I I do think that, you know, he did speak a lot regarding, uh, you know, the transfer situation. And he's been involved in that in a lot of ways over the, you know, several months. And now he's a member of the CFP uh, selection committee. He didn't really talk about that very much. But but regarding alcohol, I, you know, it, I think this is a way to kind of prime it for everybody. It's not going to happen this year, but I think it, probably a year out it will in the in the stands. What are they going to do about it? You know, that's going to be the case. I, I think that it would behoove them to have maybe a uh, alcohol-free section to go along with places where you can drink. Uh but, you know, by bringing that out in the way that he did, I think he just mainly said, <laughs> he basically told everybody it's coming, just be ready for it, so it's not a surprise. But uh, he said that it's more about the uh, fan experience, which I think is, there's some truth to that, but that he said 
you know, the financial aspect is just going to be a, an added plus, which I disagree with that because that'll make more money. Um, they'll make more money on alcohol in, in, in Kinnick than they will on every other sport but football and men's basketball. So I think it's going to be a, a major plus for them financially. It's just going to be fun to speculate as to which uh, beer brands are going to get in there. I mean, if, if you're Iowa, I think you partner with a large domestic chain and then also a local one because there's so many good local craft beer outlets in the state, especially in eastern Iowa. Uh, one of the other uh, topics, apparently, Doc, as Trent said, we didn't get to hear it because we were on the air, is the, the potential, the possibility of a neutral site game again uh, came up, and it seems to come up every year. And it looks as though, um, I mean, they're not, they're not going to get, look, Iowa, Iowa State are never going to be played anywhere else other than Kinnick or Jack Trice. But Northern Illinois seems to be that school. Northern Illinois is on the schedule in 2020 and then again in 2025. I think it's asking a lot to get that game set up next year, but maybe 2025. Does it seem like if there is going to be one, it would be Soldier Field against Northern Illinois? That's some of it. And I, I wrote a story a few months ago about this. I talked to Gary about it, and I said, you know, are you pretty much locked in now with Iowa State being your your 10th Power Five? You need seven home games every year. And he said he's never ruling anything out, and he's had opportunities. It's just got to be the right uh, the right situation. And, and that includes not just Chicago, but places like Atlanta and Dallas have been interested, and he's been interested in them. So, I don't think that it's out of the, the equation. It's just, you know, part of it is, I mean, Kirk doesn't necessarily want to do that to start the year, I mean, and, and lose a home game. So I think it's going to have to be financially beneficial for the Hawkeyes to do that. And, I mean, they gain about $6 million per home game, if not even more now. Uh, so they're going to have to get a sizable amount of revenue if they go somewhere and lose that home game and is Northern Illinois, the, the one, I, I don't know, um, you know, potentially in Atlanta against an sec team, maybe same thing with a, a big 12 team or an sec team in Texas. So, uh, you know, but I, I would say right now, I, I can't make a prediction on that. I just think it's, you know, with, uh, you know, with the nine game big 10 schedule in Iowa state every year, it's just, they, it really has to be a situation that's, uh, that goes above and beyond what Iowa would expect for them to really look at one of those games. Final thing for you, Doc, over to basketball. No footballs though, anymore, about what, 90% probably of what you do at the Athletic, but some availability on Wednesday. Get to hear from the freshmen, Patrick McCaffrey and Joe Toussaint coming in, along with Jack Nungy and Bakari Evelyn, the newest addition to the team. A offseason that's been pretty quiet here as of late. No prime time league. I'm sure you don't miss the PTL anymore, though, do you? Uh, you know, not, it, it isn't the worst. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. It was about three blocks from my house. Ah, that's but, nice. Uh, you know, you know, I, I did, I wrote a state of the program story on Iowa basketball a few weeks ago, but, uh, you know, as of right now, I'm all in on football. So I, I don't think I'm going to plan to go see the newcomers. I, I imagine some of our, some of my colleagues will, will do a great job writing those stories up, but I, I'm a hundred percent locked in. We've got a realignment series now on, and, and, you know, I think it's 19 to 20 stories uh, at the Athletic Publishing starting this morning with the Pac-12, the, the Super League that wasn't. That's a great um, piece. David know. Ubbin wrote it. It's a really, it's a long read, but it boy, it takes you back, Doc. Oh, yeah. And I was there. See, I was at Kansas City that day for the Gazette when that whole thing broke. Really? I remember 
chasing Gregory Geoffrey, who was the president of Iowa State at the time, down this hallway, <laughs> down these stairs, and I cut him off right as soon as he got in the elevator. He didn't want to talk, but I'm like, you've got to say something. You know, I mean, Iowa State fans are upset, which is obvious because the whole conference looked like it was breaking up at that point. So I, I grabbed him for about two and a half to three minutes, but it's the most surreal scene that I can ever remember. And, and David did an excellent job of breaking that all down. And, and I have a story coming out tomorrow, um, you know, that Iowa could be the winner in realignment when you look at it. The fact that they gained a new rival and they get to play all their border teams every single year that I think right now you could say that Iowa mm. was a winning program when it came to realignment across the board. That's a fair point, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, the faithful four, I've been called them. Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, and Iowa State. Looked as though when the music stopped, those four schools were going to be out without chairs, and thankfully that uh, that never materialized. You've got a chat coming up, Doc. What time are you doing it today? The uh, Hawkeye subscribers get to chat with you at what time? From noon to one on our the athletic website, so everybody chime in, get questions about Iowa's depth chart that was released last week, any kind of realignment questions, and uh, the fact that football season's only a week and a half away for uh, the first practice. So it's uh, it's a pretty uh, you know pretty intense time of year. No doubt about it. Thank you, Scott Dockman. Good to see you in Chicago. Thank you for what you do for us. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Good to talk to you. Scott Docterman from The Athletic. We're a few minutes late, but Dylan Motz is going to join us next on Iowa State. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Final segment here on a Monday. No Zubin Mahente tomorrow. He's got uh, previous engagements, so if you're a Zubin fan, he's usually with us on Tuesday. He'll be back with us a week from Tuesday. Right now, Dylan Montz, Ames Tribune, joins the program as we talk Iowa State. Dylan, Trent, and Ken, how are you? I'm doing well. It's great to be with you guys. Good to speak with you. When are you going to stop by? I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. It's been crazy. Uh, hopefully we can get into a little bit more of a routine here uh, coming up in the next couple weeks. But it's, yeah, what's it been? A month? couple months. A couple of months. Well, uh, I'm all for routines, as Trent well knows. So <laughs> I know that one well. Uh, let's start recruiting-wise. Pretty big get yesterday for Iowa State on a Sunday in July. Daniel Jackson, a three-star wide receiver with an incredibly impressive... This kid took a visit to USC uh, amongst some of the other schools that were after him. Who were some of the schools uh, that were going after Mr. Jackson before he decided to uh, spend his career at Iowa State? Yeah, it was a really big get. Uh, he's a kid out of the San Antonio area, so kind of a, a hotbed there. Obviously, really visible area. But uh, there was a, a bunch of teams in on him. I think he all told he had about 14 Power 5 offers. Um, like you mentioned, he had visited USC. He had visited Arizona State. He visited Iowa State in June. Um, so I think there was, uh, you know, if we're going to stick with Big 12, I think Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, I mean, so this kid had some some offers and uh, a really big get for Iowa State just because of how long they've been on him and how much time they've invested in recruiting him. But 
Um, he, he's a pretty dynamic kid. If you look at some of his numbers and his size is good at six one and 209 pounds, I think he's listed right now. So uh, a really nice kid to add to their wide receiver contingent that they have in the 2020 class, which is, I think is up to three now. And I saw in your piece that and uh, you gave 247 Sports credit for this, but Iowa State right now is in, what, the top 35 nationally regarding that 2020 class? I mean, I know we got some work to do yet, but um, they're moving up the num- charts-wise with these number of guys. They continue uh, to get to come to Ames. Yeah, and the thing with them right now is they have 17 commitments, so they have a really solid foundation of the class. And so now it's just kind of about um, – you know, you narrow your search a little bit and, you know, do you target some of those areas maybe that, that you would still want to go after? Maybe that you look at the offensive line or a couple of defensive spots. But, yeah, I think they're number 32 right now, um, number three in the Big 12, according to 24-7 sports. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they're obviously deep movement as some of the big boys come in and, and kind of finalize, finalize their classes once you get into January and February. But to be in that spot, um, to have – that kind of a, you know, like I said, strong base of 17 kids so far, um, it, it helps them out a lot because then they can not only coach the team that's coming up now, but also kind of look into the future at 2021, which is kind of crazy how sped up recruiting is. Dylan, it's the second player from the San Antonio area. I know they're recruiting a couple others uh, that they're in heavy on. Do you give credence to the fact that playing in San Antonio in the bowl game last year maybe opened the eyes to a couple of these prospects? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, you know, it was kind of interesting. I saw some uh, Alamo Bowl reps at, at Big 12 Media Days last week, and uh, they were chatting with some of the Iowa State folks that were down there. So there was certainly an impression that was made um, in San Antonio, and not only, um, you know, in, in the downtown area itself, in the bowl community, but also if you kind of spread out some of the high schools. Um, you know, Iowa State was practicing at some local high schools there. And, um, you know, again, being kind of in Big 12 country already, there's just, a little bit more visibility when you play in a game like that. So that's that's why, um, you know, obviously it's so important to, to be able to get to those types of stages. You know, and Dylan, it doesn't happen, I mean, it seldom happens that a school goes to the same bowl game in back-to-back years, yet I see a lot of buzz out there, you know, a lot of bowl forecasts already, which is kind of crazy, but it gives you something to read and us something to talk about. And, and there's a lot of Iowa State back to the Alamo Bowl, and I saw Jamie Pollard's come out, and he'd be in. The fan base would certainly be in. So in, in a lot of these conferences, it's, it's, it's a no-no to go back uh, to the same city uh, in back-to-back years, but there's a chance that Iowa State, if they're you know in the right spot, pecking order-wise, San Antonio's not automatically taken off the list. They could conceivably go back there again. It, absolutely, and a lot of it is going to have to do with what Oklahoma and Texas probably do. Does Oklahoma get back to the college football playoff? Um, you know, in that case, that would mean they won the Big Twelve, um, the championship game in Texas would probably go back to the Sugar Bowl again. Which, um, you know, if Iowa State was that third spot, um, you know, if they were the standalone third spot, especially, I can't imagine they would get turned away from the Alamo Bowl. But yeah, I think um, you know, with with the New Year's Six in play and kind of um, what happens with the championship game, because they don't have division, so you're probably going to get your two best teams in there. So you hope. Um, you know, one of them doesn't knock the other out in terms of CFP, CFP contention. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, a very real possibility, and I don't think Iowa State fans would be um, sick of thinking about going back to San Antonio, that's for sure.
Dylan, we've talked a lot this summer about the importance of the offensive line and taking another step forward. Tons of returning talent there. How about depth-wise, though? Uh, plenty of guys that have experience, but of the youngsters, is there a name or two you're looking at maybe to be pushing for, if not a starting spot, certainly some reps throughout the season? Yeah, I think um, some of the names that, that are kind of behind, you know, like we said, the offensive line has, has, has at least a base with four seniors and then Colin Newell. Um, at center as its returning starters, but I think that's the one position, maybe even more so than any other, that depth has talked about and how how much the young guys are pushing. And I think um, it starts with Trevor Downing. Um, he's a kid that was talked about, you know, a ton um, by us in in his recruitment about what he could add to a team. Um, and it, all through his true freshman year, when he ultimately redshirted, his name was brought up every now and again, like if he needed to come in in a pinch and do it but being able to maintain that redshirt year and um and come in as a redshirt freshman and now um, push for at least a backup spot at um left guard is, is huge he's listed on iowa state's depth chart at six four and 300 pounds so he's he's a really big kid to play inside but can really move well and 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 push guys around and then i think the other one is joey ramos who's listed left tackle right now at six five and 300 pounds as a redshirt freshman so They've got some big kids in there, um, and those are the two that are probably mentioned most. And then I think um, Robert Hudson is another one to watch for. He's six six and 335 pounds as a right guard. So um, that's kind of the thing that they've been waiting on is for some of these young guys that they got on the recruiting trail to kind of come up and mature and, and get bigger and um, kind of find their footing a little bit and then ultimately push those starters, um, even if they don't start to make those guys better. Right. Yeah, just to have some depth behind him, Dylan, and that position is as you well know, it's uh it's been a while since they've uh, been able to do that. Uh without a doubt, Dylan Mons is our guest. Dylan, when do things get going? When does uh, when do they start practice? Is it next weekend or when do they take the field for the first time for fall camp? Do you have a date yet? The the day that had been talked about was August second, which I think is a Friday. Friday, yep. Um, they do their their media day and names on August first, the Thursday. So I think things really get going in earnest the next day. Um, so yeah, we're we're just like a week and a half out now, oh. and, uh, and it'll be there. But um, yeah, hopefully get to get to have a, a little bit more of a, a finalized schedule here in the coming days. So media days. Who's the youngster that you're looking most forward to? Besides Brock Purdy, of course, everybody's going to be surrounding the quarterback not available last year as a true freshman. Who other the youngsters, though, are you looking forward to talking with for the first time? Yeah, if I can't pick Purdy, my number one is Will <laughs> McDonald. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've been able to talk to him uh, at all. So I think mm. seeing just kind of how he expects himself to kind of fit into the mold there, he's just the third starter, at least right now, at linebacker. Um, and he obviously came in and played really well last year in, in some spots and, um, you know, really could have played through the end of last season if they didn't decide to, to ultimately redshirt him to kind of help help the future out. But I think just kind of seeing maybe how how the change has gone from defensive line to linebacker and, and what he helped for himself this year, that's, that's probably the guy I'm going to make a beeline to first. Is there um, buzz already for the 2020 draft? I'm trying to think of underclassmen who, you know, we saw two of them last year in Butler and Montgomery who uh, went on to be drafted and left eligibility on the table. Might Eisworth be that guy if there is an underclassman 
that uh, decides to kick the tires on next year's draft. I mean, the, everybody loves him, and, and understandably so. He's a big hitter. He's all over the field. He's a very heady football player. Do you think Eisworth might be uh, entering his final year of collegiate football? It, it wouldn't shock me. No, uh, me. We were going to talk about the underclass, underclassmen. That's the guy I would go with first. Um, obviously, you'll have Ray Lehman, Jaquan Bailey, and Marcel Spears, and, and guys like that trying to uh, who have exhausted their eligibility right. trying to get there. But I think if Greg Eisworth, um, he, he would probably lead the field in terms of guys on Iowa State's roster that would potentially go early. So, um, yeah, if he puts up another year similar to even what he did last year, I think it's it's certainly uh, a real conversation. Maybe it was a rookie? Possibly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, you know, obviously he's really kind of grown into that role at end. Um, and he's he's a big kid at six six two eighty five, but moves so well uh, that I think uh, it's it's kind of an intriguing prospect. And sometimes, um, you know, maybe even unfairly, he goes a little bit under the radar because of Jaquan Bailey's yeah. pass rush ability. But uh, he's a really solid player, and has only gotten better the last couple of years. And the thing for him will just be to to stay healthy now. Good stuff, Dylan Mods. Appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you next week, if not before your final week without uh, football duties up in Ames. Dylan Mods, Ames Tribune, AmesTrib.com to read the entire paper and the whole crew over there. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, good to talk to you. Dylan Mods, Ames Tribune. Uh, it's not. It's so different, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about, well, if they get to a bowl. <laughs> it's no. A, it's a given. No, it's not trying to find six. No, it's and moved to a point that that's no longer a July, June, May talking point. Six is a given. What would have to happen for this in your mind not to be at least a bull eligible team? I cannot see that not happening. Brock Purdy goes down. Real Mitchell. You know, no, I love Real. Mitchell. I know you do, and a lot of people do. See the see picture of the kid. They got to get him on the field. He's fast. He just looks like a football player, and he's put together, too. And his mom was an American gladiator. I mean, come on. There you go. Find a role. I mean, he's a, he's a well-put-together dude. Not tall, by any means. No, he's what, six foot, or is that, mm, do you think that's stretching five, it? Ten. Is he? Okay. He's Seneca Wallace height. Yeah, he's Seneca. under six. I look Seneca Wallace in the eye at media days. You're not six foot. No, I'm barely 5'10". Probably five nine and a half. Well, that's what I used to be. Probably five eight now or half. You shrink. Shrinking. Oh, it's awful. So I have no hope of... No, you're not no, growing. If no, that's what you're no, it's thinking. over. No, 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 no. Um, what would it? What would it have to? Pretty goes down. Trent, I can't even. That doesn't even enter the thought process that this team's not going to win six games. It's so different. You can't even come up with a. What's going to happen? Pretty hurt. This guy's a wizard. The thing is, the defense is so good, and it's deep. Yes, and that's why I I'm the same way. And just just what Dylan pointed out, the offensive line is developing mm-hmm. depth behind the incumbents. Never had that before. Wide receivers aren't there. That's you know, okay. They're going to have a running game. The mm-hmm. offensive line, I think, is going to take a big mm-hmm. step forward. They're going to use the tight ends this year by well, default. <laughs> you keep saying that. Um, You'll be right one of these years. Yeah, this this year. Charlie Kohler's a star. But the defense is so good. Just, that, just, that's what it's hard. Right. And, and the Big 12, that middle group, is so unknown. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was a year where you felt really good about TCU, you felt really good about Oklahoma State, you felt really good about Baylor, whoever it may be. Great point. And there were five, six, seven teams. You're like, well, how's this? It's Texas, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Iowa State. And who's on that tier with them? And who else? It's a guess. You couldn't. 
if you went around the Big 12 and you asked people about the second tier, I think consensus-wise, the clones would be on it. I think they're their own tier. They might be, but my point being is then you'd get some TCU love, maybe some Oklahoma State love. Maybe I mean, Baylor, fill in some the people blank. like Baylor. I do too. They got a quarterback. Brewer's really good. Yep. And uh, Matt Rule's done a real yes. He has coming into incredibly difficult Trent, circumstances. That was a close football game. At Jack it, it was last year. Yes, it was. That was a close football. Sounds something that game never seen before. Cops on the field. Right. That was mm, odd. Odd. Really odd. Um. It's, there's nothing that. Could, yeah, I hate to say there's nothing that couldn't go wrong, but it certainly seems like that's the case this year. All right, you have fun in, where are you going, Fort Dodge? Fort Dodge, state softball. You'll join me for a segment or two tomorrow? I got you, yep. Okay, good. I don't know what else I'm doing. I know Eric Heff's going to be a part of it. That'll be good. I know Frank Schwab is going to do an NFL hit with me tomorrow. That's real good. Working on some other stuff as well. Look forward to that. We will see you on Wednesday. You will hear the next local programming at 2. That's Murph and Andy. Then the Fanatics. Tuesday, the morning rush will start it again at 6. We're Miller and Condon, 1460 KFI.